Well, my brothers and sisters, today we have a, a really great treat. We've got the parable of the prodigal son, otherwise known as the parable of the two brothers or the two sons. And I think that's actually probably a little bit more appropriate name to it. What Jesus is doing here is he's got two different people in his audience. On the one hand, he's got the sinners and the tax collectors. Okay? But then on the other hand, he's got the Pharisees. And so he tells a parable that's appropriate for his audience. Okay? Who do you think represents the, the sinners and the tax collectors? The, the younger son or the older? The younger. The younger. Who represents the Pharisees? The younger son or the, the older son represents the Pharisees. So that's who he's speaking to. Of course, he's speaking to us as well. Sometimes we can be sinners and tax collectors. Other times we can be Pharisees. Okay, and so this is appropriate for everybody at all times, in all places. And uh, the way that I'm going to kind of break down what I want to say today is to talk about three different ways of relating to God which come into play all throughout this parable. There's three different ways that we can practice our religion, three different ways that we can uh, understand our relationship to God and especially to His will for us and especially to His commandments. There's three different ways. First of all, we can relate to God as a slave. Secondly, we can relate to God as a servant or a hired worker. Okay. Thirdly, we can relate to God as a son or a daughter. Okay. What's the difference? I'll just give you the short and skinny of it, and then I'll break it all down. The short and skinny of it is this. If we relate to, to God as a slave, we basically don't have our hearts in it. We're not obedient to God's will from the heart. Our heart is still attached to our own will and to sin and not to God's will. Even though externally, in our external behavior, okay, especially when other people are looking, we obey God's commandments, but our heart's not in it. That's the mentality of a slave. Now, a servant is a lot better. The, the slave mentality won't help us. It doesn't do us any good. It won't get us into heaven. It won't get us into heaven. The servant mentality will get us into heaven. It's a lot better. Okay? The servant mentality recognizes that we serve God not for his benefit, but for our benefit. And the servant's will truly is attached to God's will. But its love for God is a little bit self-interested. It serves God because it knows that it's good to serve God. That it's in his own self-interest to serve God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's smart. Okay? So the servant mentality. Now we've got the mentality of the son. The son serves God because God is all good and worthy of all our love. And knows that there's really nothing that we can give God but our love for him and fears to sin, simply because that would be a failure to give God all of our love. That's the highest way of relating to God, the highest way of serving God. We see in our first reading the Israelites, who still had the mentality of slaves, even though God brought them out of slavery from Egypt, they still had the mentality of a slave. God had to scare them with punishments, with threats. Okay, so he comes down on Mount Sinai in the cloud and lightning and thunder, and they all say, okay, Lord, we're going to listen to you. We'll obey you. But as soon as they think God is not watching, as soon as Moses disappears, 
they start falling into bad behavior. Okay? Because they still have that mentality of the slave. Their heart really does not want to follow God's law. It's only afraid of God's punishment. Okay? That's how it relates to God. Now, in our second reading, St. Paul knows this dynamic very well because he was once a zealous Pharisee and he related to God in terms purely of punishment, but his heart really wasn't in it. And he talks about in our second reading how God's grace converted him from the heart and filled his heart with faith and with love. So Paul went from being a slave to a servant and, a, and then a son. And so he knows all about that. Okay, the, mis, the fundamental misunderstanding of the slave is that God and his will for us is something external to us. It's kind of an imposition upon us. It's something that limits our freedom. It's there to take away our fun. Okay? It's really not in our interest. God is giving us commandments for his good and not for our own good. That's the mentality of the slave. That's the fundamental misunderstanding that the slave has. The servant has a fundamental insight. The servant says, you know what? God doesn't give me these commandments for his own good, but for my good. And obeying them and following them is actually in my own self-interest. Okay? And I'm so grateful that God has instructed me and shown me the right way to go. I'm so grateful. And so that heart of gratitude very quickly turns into a heart of disinterested love. And so the servant can transition into the son very, very easily. We see this transition, we see this kind of illumination and enlightenment in the first son, the younger son. The younger son at first relates to his father uh, like a slave, Okay. So he's like, you know, I'm so tired of serving the old man. I just want to have fun. I want my freedom. I'm out of here. Okay, Dad, give me my money and I'm gone. I'm hitting the road. But he quickly learns that sin is not good for him. Okay? He goes into a land of freedom far away from the Father. This is the fundamental alienation that sin affects between us and God. Far away from God. He wastes all his money. It says he squanders his inheritance, but more literally translated, it says he dissipates or he scatters his very substance. And that's what happens when we go far away from God and from his will for us. We scatter our substance, our very own personhood, the substance of our personhood, the, the substance of our very self becomes disintegrated. And we set ourselves against ourselves. We become alienated from ourselves because our conscience is constantly against us. And we're not in alignment with our own conscience. So we're divided. We're separated from ourselves. We're frustrated deeply at the most fundamental level of our being. We are frustrated. And it is not a life of fulfillment or happiness and joy. And so it says about the younger son, he comes to his senses. Literally translated, it says he comes to himself. There's a process of conversion that begins to take place in the heart of the young son. He begins to agree with his conscience. He begins to become united with himself. That whole process of self-alienation begins to reverse, and he becomes reintegrated. He says, for crying out loud, just serving my father, one of the hired servants, it's better for them than it is for me. Okay? You know, it says something really interesting when he's there uh, and he's, he, 
He's uh, serving that one citizen in that distant country, which is a symbol of the devil, that citizen at any rate. He's, he's tending the, the swine, the pigs. He longs to fill his belly with the pods that the swine ate. Okay? Now, you know what a pod is? A pod is you take a, you take a pea, you open it up, and you get, get all the peas out. And what's left is just the empty husk or shell. You see? And that's what sin is. It's emptiness. It's emptiness. It looks good. It looks like it's nutritious from the outside. But when you open it up, it's totally empty. And it's not nutritious. You could fill your belly full of pods all day long, and you're not going to get the proper nutrition you need. Sin is bad for you. It doesn't nourish you. You see, that's the mentality of this young man before his conversion. But then he, he has this conversion, and he says, that's it, I'm going back to my father. Because he understands that God's commands are in his own self-interest. But you know what happens? This is so awesome. God is so merciful to us that we don't even need to necessarily have the mentality of a son. We can just have this, the mentality of a servant, and that is enough for God to run forth. If you notice, the father runs ahead. And he meets the son. The son turns to him, and the father runs out and embraces him. And the son says, okay, I'm content just to be a servant. And God sa- and the father says, you're my son. And he clothes him with a robe of grace. That's what St. Paul was talking about in our second reading, the robe of grace, the fine robe of baptismal grace, which is full of faith, which is full of charity. And so the, the, the father regards this young man as the son. Now, being a son of God, this is really our vocation. Being a son or a daughter of God, this is our vocation. You see, you've got imperfect love of God, and then you've got the perfect love of God. The imperfect love of God loves God for what's in it for me. Really, there's nothing wrong with that. There's really nothing wrong with that. That is sufficient for salvation, but yet God calls us higher. He calls us to have the perfect love of God. The perfect love of God says, Lord, I love you not just because I fear the loss of heaven and the, and the pains of hell, but I serve you and I love you because you are all good and you are worthy of all my love. Just like we say in the traditional act of contrition, you are worthy of all my love. That's the heart of the Son. Now, what about the older son? You see, it's revealed in the very end that the older son has always related to his father with the mentality of a slave. How do we know that? How do we know that the older son, the Pharisee, really has never gotten it? He's always related to his father as if he were a slave. Why is he resentful towards the younger brother? Okay? And notice he calls the younger brother, your son. He should have said, my brother. He should have said, oh no, my brother has gone off and he's doing things that are bad for him. I feel so bad for him. I'm praying for him. I'm wanting him to return to God's will. I'm wanting him to be whole and healthy again, to be in God's grace and God's love. That's not his mentality, okay? He's envious because he thinks the young son is getting away with something, you see? The older son always just obeyed God, not really with his heart, okay? If he would go off and 
live a life of partying and dissipation? He could have. He would have if he could have. The only thing that's restraining him was the fear of punishment. He's fixated on punishment. What does he want to happen to the younger son? When the younger son comes back, he wants the father to punish him. He wants the father to say, you know what? You are so ungrateful. Get out of here. That's what that older son wants, because that's how he relates to the father, purely in terms of punishment. He's still got the mentality of the slave. And so also, we see how far away he is from God. You know why? Because he refuses to enter the house. Isn't that sad? Of his own free will, he refuses to enter the house. And so of his own accord, he is distant from God always with that heart that's never truly in alignment with the will and the commandments of God. And the father's final word to the older son is really a vocation. It's a call for all of us. My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. To be sons of God, my brothers and sisters, to be sons and daughters of God, to love God with that perfect love. This is God's call to the sinners and the tax collectors. It's God's call to the Pharisees. Whether we are the one or the other, sometimes both, will we heed this call?